Your 
Yeah, I would really like to sing that song again. Good morning. For each of us this morning, the Lord has an opportunity for us to be refreshed and strengthened by his spirit. So I pray that that would be our heart. If you would turn with me, our opening scripture will come from Proverbs 8 on page 733. Proverbs 8, page 733. We have a few ongoing people to pray for, for Raul Jr. and for Angelica and Rubia's grandmother and for Bill's mother. And as we pray for them, we're not just praying for this person, but we are lifting up their family and each of you who are here to strengthen them and pray for them yourself, um, not just for our will, but for the Lord's will and his purpose. Uh, also, we will have uh, Friday night Shabbat services beginning in just a few weeks, starting on September 8th. And I'm excited to share with you all the direction for, for Friday nights. Uh, Deborah and I have been praying, and both of us have heard independently but together that the Lord wants us to study marriage. And so this is an exciting place for us as marriage is an important relationship for each of us um, and to understand God's design for marriage because the relationship of marriage is the picture that we have in the New Testament of our relationship as the body of Christ with the Lord. And so we're going to use um, several tools from the Marriage on the Rock series which um, will be really great because it's going to require some participation and engagement from each of us. And as I've been studying and preparing, it has been incredible to see God's design and his plan since the beginning of Genesis, what he intends biblically and spiritually for us to understand in this relationship. So I encourage each of you not just to be here and to participate, but to, to pray and ask the Lord for friends and family who need to be transformed along with our congregation into the understanding and image and design that God has for us in marriage. Now, our, our scripture for this morning is Proverbs 8. We'll read verses 32 through 36. And in Proverbs, the understanding that we read is about this, this spirit of wisdom. And wisdom is speaking. And the words that we read are from the voice of wisdom, which I believe we are to understand more fully, is only coming from the Lord, as coming from the Spirit, as coming from the Father. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. For blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul, and those who hate me love death. Each week in Romans, we have understood more fully and clearly that we have, we have been made with a sinful nature, each and every one of us born into the spirit of Adam's sin. 
but God's gracious gift is to redeem us and allow us to have favor with the Lord. That can only happen when we make a choice and when we continue to make a choice, to make a choice to align with the Lord. I pray that this would be our desire this morning, that as we sing, as we worship, as we pray, as we hear the Lord's word from Romans, that it would be our desire to make this choice continually and remain in the Lord's favor. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day that you knew we would be right here, that we would be studying these places, and that each of us would have circumstances in our lives that would be pulling and tugging and weighing on us. I pray that we would lay down our lives before you, that we would hear from your spirit today, that we would understand your word more, more fully, and that it would be our heart's desire to find favor in your sight. I pray for Deborah as she brings your word today that it would be directly from you and that it would have your power and authority that has raised your son Jesus from the dead and that it might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Right here where we stand We will see the promised land mm. One day there'll be no more lives Taken too soon One day there'll be no more need For a hospital One day every tear that falls Will be wiped by his hand We will see the promised land skin won't cause a divide one day we'll be family standing hand in hand and we will see the promised land we will see the promised land hallelujah there will be healing from this heartache we've been feeling we'll sing in the darkest night
One day when I'm tired and weary, bones find their rest. One day when the power of evil's brought to an end, we will see the promised land. We will see the promised land.
Good morning. <clears throat> Pardon my voice a little bit. West Texas wind yesterday and the couple, last couple of days, I think. So uh, it was a wonderful time of worship, bringing us into God's message for today. And we're going to continue in Romans 8. So we're on page 1300. Romans 8, page 1300. 
course, the last few weeks we've been in the book of Romans, but last week I want to just kind of refresh from where we were last week so we can continue. <clears throat> I think we always want to be reminded that Paul is writing this as one letter, and so it seems hard for us sometimes to remember that because we break it up into little sections every week or, or every time you're reading in Romans, and uh, we have to remember that there weren't chapters and there weren't verses, but rather it all ran together. It was one letter with one understanding <clears throat> that Paul was trying to help the readers, the church at Rome, to understand and to um, grab hold of. Let me grab a, a quick drink. Let's see. <clears throat> my goodness, Lord, help me with my voice. Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay, last week we kind of started off in chapter 7 and, um, and then started in the first part of 8. And so I just want to pick up in 8.1 and remind us a little bit about what Paul was writing about. He had been saying these things so clearly in 25 of chapter 7, but verse 1, chapter 8 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And we talked about that this word condemnation gets... Um, misunderstood and mistaught so many times. We see this and people or people see this as you can't judge me for whatever it is I'm doing. And that's not the word that Paul is using. The word that Paul is using here is a word that really means there is no penalty. There's no punishment. There is no death penalty for those who are walking in the Spirit. In other words, Jesus has died on the cross and has taken that death penalty away from you if you are walking in the Spirit. And so Paul continues to unfold that through the first few verses of chapter 8. And, um, and then he comes on down in verse 7, and he reminds us that even if you're in the carnal mind, if you continue to be in a fleshly place, if you continue to walk in your own ways, that you're actually an enemy of God. You're hostile to God. You're at enmity. You're at enmity with God. You are hostile against his ways and his truths. So he reminds us that you cannot continue in your flesh and truly be set free from the punishment and the death penalty of sin and death. But then he comes on down in verse 13 and 14, and that's going to really be where we begin today. Well, let's look at verse 12. Let's start there. And um, verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
So what he is saying right here is that he's talking to brethren. So he's talking to people in the church, people who would claim to be saved, as you will. And he's saying you, you are not debtors to the flesh. You don't owe any debt to the flesh to continue to bow down to the wants and the needs and the desires of the flesh. But he's saying that you are a debtor to the flesh that you will die. So if you continue to bow down to the flesh, to walk in the ways of the flesh, Paul says you will die. But if this, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body or the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So Paul is making it very clear that if you continue as someone that is a brother in Christ, and yet you walk in the flesh, he's saying you will die. It's very clear. But if by the Spirit you put to death the things that the flesh desires, the things that the flesh wants from us, if we don't bow down to those things, he says, then you will live. <clears throat> And that leads us into our message for today, starting in verse 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. This place led, I love it. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. This word led doesn't just mean to be led today, it is a present tense, which means to be continually led. It means to be continually carried forth, brought forth by the Holy Spirit, to continue to be led by the Spirit of God. I was thinking about that over the last few days, and I was thinking about what a great way to truly discern where we are. And I wondered, I thought, this place where oftentimes people say, yes, I'm a Christian, and people oftentimes say, yes, I'm a believer. In fact, I had someone very recently said, well, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. I believe he was the Son of God. And they went through all of these things. And I thought, yes, but the Bible says even the demons believe. <clears throat> and I wondered if this was the place that God put right here for us to be challenged by to say, here is truly where it divides out those that claim to be believers from those who truly believe. Because those who truly believe will be led by the Spirit. So I think the question would be, is are you led by the Spirit? But not just once, continuously. I see this. This is not a, I was saved on this day, but this is a place that says, are you led every day through all decisions for today and for the rest of your life that you will be led by the Spirit. And that's what it's saying. Then it says, <clears throat> then 
again, these are the sons of God. These are the sons of God. Now, this word sons, I, um, I think if you want to, you can write in there sons and daughters. This word doesn't exactly mean sons. What it actually means is adult children. Adult children. So it's saying if you're led by a spirit, these are the adult children of God. And if you really press in and, and study it a little bit, it really goes on to define that these are children that have matured to the place to be held accountable. Accountable for the family inheritance, for the family responsibilities. These are adult children who are held accountable for the inheritance and the family responsibilities that are laid upon them. I thought how interesting because many times I have looked through the Bible and looked for this place where people say, you know, there's an age of accountability when God holds you accountable to discern whether you are going to surrender your life to him die to the flesh to him? What is that age of accountability? And, and I've looked for that, and the Bible doesn't really state it as such. And really, I don't even find places where it talks about this age of accountability until I got here. And all of a sudden, I went, well, yes, Lord, I see. That is exactly as it is, that there, these children... Adult children have matured to the place that only you know, but you do know, what age that is for each person, when they would be held accountable for their inheritance, for the family business, for the family responsibilities. I see how God is helping us to understand this, this unit, this family unit, and as he's going to go on and help us to understand that more clearly. And he said, these that are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. For you did, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Well, I just loved pressing into this verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. Now, here is another place that gets mistaught. A lot of times this is taught that you don't want to receive a spirit of bondage where you go back and are under the law, right? Has anybody ever heard that taught that way? That you're no longer under the law and so you're not under the spirit of bondage. That's not what Paul is talking about. He hasn't been talking about the law at any point in time in that manner. But rather what he's talking about right here is being 
brought back into the spirit of bondage as a slave. This word bondage, if you look it up, really means to be a slave, to be in slavery. So what Paul is saying is that if, if you are sons and daughters of God, that you have not been brought back into slavery again, into this place of fear. Fear of what? I've heard that mistaught. This place is not a place of fear of just uh, not walking confidently in the things of this world and being afraid of something. It's not talking about fear. It's talking about to be fearful of what slavery would bring you into, which is into death. So it's talking, Paul is saying, if you are led by the Spirit and sons of God, sons and daughters of God, then you did not receive a spirit of slavery again, see, again, taking you back into the slavery that he's delivered you out of that would make you fearful of the death penalty that is associated with the slavery of sin. Does that make sense to you? That's what Paul's been talking about for the last three or four chapters is being free from this bondage of slavery. I want you to look at a couple of things. So keep your marker right here. Turn back a page to Romans 6.6. 6. Sometimes I hear people, I've even said myself, I said, Paul is so wordy that he's so confusing. Has anybody ever thought that? <laughs> and yet, as I read Paul, I really have come to realize he's wordy, yes. He says things in a lot of words, but he's not confusing. He's really very specific about what he is saying. And I don't want to ever claim that he's confusing again because I see that it's just our not pressing in to see what Paul is trying to say to us. So Romans 6, 6 says, <clears throat> Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be what? Slaves of sin. So the translator translated this as bondage, the spirit of bondage. But when you go back and realize the better translation would say slavery, you see that he's tying this back to no longer being slaves of sin. That's why he says you're not going to be given this spirit that takes you back into the slavery of sin again. That's what Paul is saying. Now look over um, <clears throat> to verse 16, right across the page there, 616. Paul writes, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death 
or of obedience leading to righteousness. He's talking about being slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. He's not talking about being slaves to God's law. He's talking about being slaves to sin. Verse 17 says, But God be thanked that, through, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you see, he's carrying through that same understanding. And then go down to verse 19. <clears throat> well, let's just read on with 18. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So Paul is helping us to understand that you were slaves to sin, you have been set free and made slaves to righteousness. He's continuing this thought. It's one letter. He's not changed topics. He's continuing this thought. Verse 19 says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now that's kind of a hard word to understand. I don't think it was translated in the best way either. Because we go free from righteousness? What does that mean? So what Paul is saying is you're not obligated in this place, uh, not led. So what he is saying is for when you were slaves to sin, you were not led in regard to righteousness. You were not obligated. You were not making the right choices. You were free from being a, sin, a slave to righteousness when you were a slave to sin. Does that Make sense? All right. Turn your page and let's look at uh, chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now that word kind of messes with some people's mind when it says sold under sin. But if you look this up, this word actually means a slave. A slave. So if you see, he's Paul is saying, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, a slave under sin. You see, he's carrying forth the same understanding all the way through. All the way through. So now he comes down to chapter 8, verse 15, where we were, and it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to sin, again, to fear, but fear is to be fearful of the penalty associated with the slavery to sin. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I, I love this understanding it, that God began to give me even several years ago, but I think he's even grown me in this place over the last few days. And uh, this spirit of adoption, um, back years ago or several years ago when I was reading in this place, the Lord was trying to help me to understand a spirit of adoption. <clears throat> and um, he, he helped me by looking up some understandings of people of this day and this time and how they felt about adoption. And there was actually a couple of different scenarios that, that I found. One of being is that the, uh, Paul is writing to Rome, but he's in Ephesus, right? So if you remember, we talked about that early on. So he's actually writing to them while he's in house arrest in Ephesus. And so in Ephesus, I think that what is on Paul's mind is the very Greek understanding that Ephesus is, in, is, um, is, is built upon. And Ephesus is a very large city, and probably one of the first things that comes to mind is you probably remember that the big focal point of Ephesus was the temple, the goddess of Diana. You might remember that. So it's a huge, uh, dark city full of sexual uh, sin and and darkness and, and uh, controlled by this Greek understanding and characteristics. And one of the parts of, of a characteristics of, of Greek understanding is perfection. The, the Greek thought that the very uh, essence of, of humanity should be bringing yourself to perfection, that everyone should be working all the time to uh, create yourself to be perfect in every way. And so they uh, did this through sportings. They were very involved in, in making the body be uh, stronger and faster and bigger and better. And they uh, embraced this place. Uh, education was another place that, you know, it was about making you be the best you can be, if you will. This is a very Greek understanding. And really, I see it rampant in our society in the United States today. But in another place that went along in this understanding is that when a woman would give birth to a child that did not fit into this opportunity to create perfection, in other words, the child was born imperfect and didn't have the same opportunities to be the biggest and best out there, then they would take the babies out to the city dump and they would leave them to die in the elements because they were worthless. But then there's another place that I read about adoption in this period of time, and it was an interesting place as well. It was about the richest people would oftentimes, if they didn't have 
adult children, adult male children particularly, to help take care of their inheritance, they would go and adopt sons to come in and take over their inheritance. And the sons would be taught all the things of the family, and they would take on the responsibilities of the family, and they would be right there available to receive the full inheritance at the death of this very rich person. And so God was helping me to understand. He said, you know, Deb, where you were is in this very first place. Born in sin, totally imperfect. And destined for death. The enemy has just thrown you out to allow you to die. But God showed me, he said, but I <laughs> have chosen these rich, this rich inheritance for these mature children that I'm adopting. That's the heart of the father. This is the heart of the enemy. He also told me a few years ago, and you might have heard this story, but he was teaching me about this place of adoption, and he told me to close my eyes. So I'm going I'm to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment and to envision that you have just walked into the throne room of God. And you can see God sitting on the throne, and among all that is there worshiping him, his angels, his uh, heavenly sons, his spiritual beings, we study the living creatures, all that are there, the seraphims, the cherubims, they're all there. It's full. Where are you? Where is your position? Where do you belong? Do you see yourself? Do you see where you're standing? Now you can open your eyes. When God showed me this, I remembered seeing there was a very full room. Did anybody see that? That it was just full of lots of, of spiritual beings. And, but when I saw myself, I realized that where I saw myself was at the back of the room. Because I could see all of this, but I was at the back. Did anybody else see that from that position? You did? The Father was helping me to understand this place of Abba Father. This place of intimacy that he has for his chosen human sons and daughters and that is a place of adoption not that you would be among the multitudes but that you would take a position 
of sons and daughters and be close. That you would be brought close to him. I saw this place as God was opening my understanding. I saw him say to me, come close. Come up here. Come up here by me because you're my sons and daughters. Yes, these are all created beings, and he did create all of them, and I believe loves them all. But there is a special purpose in what he has done with mankind to call us in to the fullness that he has for us of being mature sons and daughters, mature and ready to take on the fullness of the responsibilities and the inheritance that he has for us. We can't do that from the back of the room. I think what Paul is saying to us is that he understands the fullness of this and he is calling us to recognize what God is trying to say to us. And when he writes, you have received a spirit of adoption. You were thrown out, but he has adopted you out of the darkness. And he says, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I looked these two words up. They're two different words. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Sometimes people write down, Father, Father. And there is some truth to that. Abba can mean Father. Some write down that it means Dad. There's some truth to that. It can mean dad. But what God began to help me understand is so powerful. I pray you'll see it. He began to show me that Abba is an intimate, personal word. Father is a position. You see, you can be the child of someone, and he can be your father, out of law, out of duty, out of birth. But you may not have an intimate connection with him. But this word Abba, the Lord told me so clearly, he said, it's an intimate place. Not out of law but out of intimacy, come up here with me. I see how Paul is trying to grab our attention to understand the fullness. He continues on in verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This word children, you're going to love this. It actually means 
the born ones. The born ones. The Spirit bears witness of our spirit because we are born again. I so quickly went back to John 3 when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you cannot enter into the kingdom unless you've been born again. I see how Paul is pulling from that understanding and he's telling us, he's saying, you know, understand this, you children, you sons and daughters. To this place that he says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, those that are born again. Do you see that? Paul is saying to those that are born again, our spirits will be connected. They will bear witness. They will be joined together. They will be in oneness. And then he goes on to say, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So this place of, of um, our spirits being joined together with him, in verse 16, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children born again of God. He took me to John 17. So hold your markers right here. And go to John 17, it's on page 1245. John 17, this is one of my favorite chapters. You've heard me say that before. Because it's where Jesus is praying for his disciples. And it is a very intimate place, and I love it. We're just going to pull out a couple of places today. I think it's 1711. He says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you've given to me, that they may be one as we are. Really, it just says as we. I, that R was added in there. And I, if you want to, you can mark it out. <laughs> I just like the way it says that keep them it, through your name, those whom you've given to me, that they may be one as we. As we. Now drop down to 21. Uh, let's start in 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their teachings, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. 
And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I love this oneness that Jesus is talking about. That he's saying, keep them by your name, Lord. Keep them. Hold them fast. I think of that song as I hear these words. Hold them in these places that you would keep them in oneness with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Because they've been born again. They're no longer of this world. They're no longer of the sin and death. They've been adopted out of that and brought into our family, Jesus is saying, into the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And they've been born again as children into oneness and their spirit Bears, the Spirit bears witness with His Spirit. Confirms. Let's look back at that. I want you to see that. So turn back to Romans. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit. Wow. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. You know what that's saying? It's confirming. It's an agreement. It's saying you're in the family. And your spirit should be in oneness with Jesus, with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit. That's where we're striving. That's the goal. Not to, not to try to be beyond what God is doing in your life because it's what you want, but to join up with what he is doing in your life because it's what he wants. Not from the Greek understanding to try to make ourselves perfect is what I'm saying. It's not from the Greek understanding. It's from the heart of the Father. This is we're in oneness because you've been born again and because I've adopted you. And you can come to me and cry out in this place, Abba, Father. I want to give you a couple of scriptures on that Abba Father and a couple of places I want you to, to look at. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians 6. It's on page 
You can't be in oneness is what he's talking about. Do you see that? He's saying you can't be in oneness with these, this over here because you're in oneness with me. So you have to have this in your mind. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? He said, how could you possibly go back again into that spirit? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That oneness. Therefore, come out from among them. Come out. I'm calling you into this adoption. Come with me. Come with me over here and be separated, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see, I see Paul is helping us to understand these things every time. He doesn't change his story. He's seeing the same pictures over and over. Now, I want to look at <clears throat> Matthew um, on page 1113, uh, Matthew 3, page 1113, <clears throat> Matthew 317. So I just want to help us to see the fullness of this. So um, it, Jesus, John the Baptist has baptized um, Jesus. And, uh, and so right here it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So... Uh, he has baptized Jesus, and this voice comes down from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. This word beloved is not a good translation for this word. And um, if you want to write in your Bible and mark that out, I think that's a good idea because beloved means a, to us we think about this uh, begotten and beloved. And, and, but the word best here is unique. Because he is a very unique son. He is not the same as you and I. So when we talk about sons and daughters, we don't want to get this elevation to Jesus. And I, but I, but we, God still calls us son. But he's the only unique son. All right, now look with me to John 1. It's on page 1200. <clears throat> John 1, verse 12. John writes and he says, But as many as receive Jesus, receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. 
He gave the right. So verse 12, do you see that? John 1, page 1200. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children. That's an adult, those mature children ready to receive their inheritance to those who believed in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. He born, he birthed them uh, out of this spirit of adoption into this spirit of oneness with him. Now I want you to look at one last verse um, on page 1400, First John. 1400, 1 John 3, and hear what John writes here, starting in verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, I love this right here. He has an exclamation point. Do you see that? John is writing and he's saying, this is so powerful. You have to grab hold of this. He's saying, this is the mature children of God, ready to do the business of the family, ready to take on the responsibilities, ready for the inheritance, the mature children. So he, let's read that again. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That is so powerful. I just so powerful. If we can understand what John is saying, he's saying, oh, I can't even tell you how, how awesome this is that so much love poured out of the Father in this manner of making us children of God. We were at the city dump, destined for death, imperfect, and God has picked us up. John is bringing the same understanding. Then he goes on to say, Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Some of the inheritance that John is helping us to see. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Oh, if we have hope in him, we have to take on this place of purifying ourselves. Because why? Because you're in oneness over here with the Most High. You can't bring your filthiness into this place. Verse 4 says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. That's the very word that's coming uh, out of disobeying God's laws. Uh, sinning. 
and, and you know that he was manifested to what take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Now, people argue with me all the time, and they go, well, we can't all be perfect, and we have to all sin sometimes. And um, people justify their darkness by saying we can't all sin. And I just want to say the written word says right here, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sin has neither seen him nor known him. So he's, John is saying, if you are in this place of oneness, if you are truly a son and a daughter of the Most High, you're not going to allow your physical flesh to drag you back into this bondage of sin as a slave to sin. He said, you won't do that. Now, you may sin every now and then accidentally. And it's so awesome when you, we studied the uh, offerings, we saw that God had a burnt offering for when we knew we were in sin. And when they knew they were in sin, you have to bring a burnt offering. That is Jesus, the lamb. But there's also a sin offering for the unintentional sins. When you accidentally find yourself and you go, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit has quickened me. This is not how I should have acted. That's unintentional sin. Jesus is the lamb for that as well. But Paul, I mean, uh, John is writing here and he says, you can't continue to walk in this place of sinfulness and claim to be a child of God. Let's read that again. Whoever abides in him does not sin. You're in oneness. That's what abiding is. Ab he said, you abide in me and I'll abide in you. Oneness. You can't be in this oneness and uh, abide in him. It says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has either has neither seen him nor known him. So I'm not saying that. John is saying that. He says, you continue in sin. You don't know him. You're not in this place of oneness. You don't know him if you continue to allow yourself to go back over here and have fellowship with the darkness. Do you see what I'm saying? Paul and John agree in the fullness of what Jesus has done. Then he goes on to say in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. You see, it's not what makes you righteous, but once God has made you righteous through the blood of Jesus, then John is saying, then as children, mature children, you have to continue to walk in righteousness. You can't go back to lawlessness. You see that? He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. What's he talking about there, destroy the works of the devil? 
sin. He's talking about sin. He's talking about that Jesus died, that he could overcome the works of the enemy. Whoever, verse 9 says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Let me go back to Romans and close um, in chapter 8. I want to close just with a reading of a couple of things. I want to I want to read this all together starting in verse 14. For as many as are led, continually led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, of slavery, again, to fear, the fear of death. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, the born again ones. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I think this suffering, and I want to leave it with this, is a place of suffering against the places of this world, the places that call us back into sin. I believe that Jesus suffered to overcome sin. Our suffering has to be in alignment with him. Do you see that? That we would in agreement continue in oneness to suffer through and not align with the darkness that calls us back to a spirit of slavery in sin. I, I know that Paul has great understanding for us to receive today, so I pray that you might, if you don't understand everything or didn't hold on to everything, that you might listen to this again so that this would get deep into your heart. But I pray that today that you're sitting there and you're looking at your life and you're saying, am I a son? Am I a daughter of the Most High? Have I come to this place of oneness with him? That my life would reflect as a witness that my spirit and the Holy Spirit would be confirmed as oneness. If there's any place that we can pray for you or pray with you over things that God is showing you, our elders will be in the back. Thank you.
blessed assurance Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine Heir of salvation Purchase of God Born of His Spirit in his blood this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long this is my story this is my song Goodness lost in his love. 